Marine veteran G. Michael Hoff is a best-selling author of 21 books with over 1 million copies sold. Hear how he did it. Coming up next on Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. My good friend and fellow veteran Bob Eulen has come out with his new book titled Transitions 2.0. This is the best book for any transitioning veteran. Check out Transitions 2.0 at veteranonthemove.com slash transitions. All right, today I'm talking with G. Michael Hopf. He's a Marine veteran and a well-renowned author. Uh over 21 books and over over a million million sales, which is phenomenal. I know a lot of authors, but not many authors that have sold a lot of books. But, G. Michael, before we get to talking about uh, writing books and business and entrepreneurship, take us back and tell us what you did in the Marine Corps. Uh, well, first, let me uh, thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity. Yeah, let's go, let's go way, way back. <laughs> Uh, I enlisted in the United States Marine Corps in 1989, and uh, what's funny, the, the, kind of a funny story, is I remember my recruiter at the time uh, was uh, telling me, based on my ASVAB scores, I could do anything I want. I got avionics, all these other cool jobs. The only thing I wanted to do was be an infantryman. I kind of wanted to uh, uh, travel to exotic lands, meet interesting people, drink their beer, and so forth and so on. So, um, <laughs> 0300 I, infantry. <laughs> so I, I, it, he, I was like the easiest like person to sign up for him. I mean, I've really helped him out a lot and, uh, well, I'm joking a little bit there, but, uh, it was, it's, it's easy to, I mean, they're always trying to force people sometimes in O3 billets and I just voluntarily signed up for six years and infantry. So, um, but I would, I would never, I would never go back. It was, uh, the six years I did in the Marine Corps were, uh, very instrumental in my life. It changed my life. And there's probably not a, a day that doesn't go by that. I don't think about the Marine Corps, my experiences. I'm still very connected to the men that I met during my service. Um, but, uh, so I, I joined and then after Paris Island, where I always like to joke again, it's where I was reborn. I, uh, went to uh, MCT, which at that time was kind of like in a beta format. Uh, it's called it's Marine Combat Training. It was at uh, Camp Lejeune, at Camp Geiger specifically. And then yeah. right, right, right piggyback from there, right into the School of Infantry and um, was given the 0352 billet, which is, um, which is anti-tank gunner. And I remember there was only like seven of us that were pulled out from the rest. They, they were getting 0311, 0311, 0331, or kind of going through all. And every, all these guys are kind of being, you know, broken up. This was kind of after our basic school of infantry training, where we now go into more specialized uh, training. And uh, I remember like me and six other guys are standing over, and I'm like, I felt kind of like like an outcast for a little bit. And I remember the sergeant came up and said, you, you, uh, he goes, you guys, you guys are lucky, you know, because you're going to be riding on these, the rest of these guys are going to be humping. <laughs> so, um, uh, so that was really cool. And then after that, I got assigned to first tank battalion out of Kent Pendleton. And I was a part of their anti-tank uh, company, tow company. And, uh, was with them and we like quickly turned around and did a UDP to Okinawa and like I got, we were on the ground in Okinawa days, and then Saddam Hussein invaded invaded Kuwait, and then we within three weeks we got on ships and were sailing to the kingdom, um, and that was an interesting experience. Yeah. Uh, 
And then we arrived that we arrived in Al Jubail in September of 1990 and was there the whole thing for the whole thing. Uh, but when we got back from the States in April of 91, they, they told us they were disbanding tow company and sent us out to the infantry regiments, which was awesome. I, I uh, got assigned to a weapons company, uh, 1st Battalion, 1st Marines, and I was just gung-ho for deploying uh, after that one deployment. And so that's why I, I they, we got, we, they kind of gave us a choice of which, which regiment we wanted to go to. And, and one, one was deploying right away on a Westpac. And so I was like, that's where I want to be. And so within, it was within seven months of getting back from the Gulf War, I rotated back out again on a Westpac. What an incredible experience that was. Um, and then stayed with, stayed with weapons one, one all until I, until I EAS in 1995. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. So back in 95, what was your transition like out of the Marine Corps? Um, it was funny at, at near the end of my six years, I was just kind of done. A lot of the guys I'd gotten in with had gotten out most most guys tend to do four-year enlistments there was even a few lucky guys out of the midwest that had three-year enlistments and so they were like up and gone all the guys i deployed with a couple times or were gone so i was kind of reaching for me personally kind of a burnout and i was just kind of done i mean there were some things i was given options i could re-enlist and and maybe go to like recruiter school or di school and these other things and i was just kind of done um, and so I, I took terminal leave, 60 days terminal leave, got out and I still, but I still kind of had this adventure bug in me. So I went and I went to commercial diving school in Houston. And so the transition for me, I thought was, was, was good. And, and that is I left the Marine Corps where the camaraderie, as you know, is pretty tight and, um, went immediately to commercial diving school and was with 20 some other guys that were all former military. Oh, wow. And, and so, I mean, again, go right from, you know, one group of guys into another group of guys all experiencing something for the first time. And so, um, and I had, and that was, so that, I think that I think helped. I think sometimes when there's some men and women out there that have a difficult time transitioning is they feel that other people don't understand them. Um, I think also they, they leave after being in, doing something that's important kind of on the world stage, having a purpose. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, they, they lose that purpose and then they lose their brothers and sisters that they served with. And a lot of the civilian population necessarily, I don't think gets us sometimes. And, um, I think that could make it tough for people transitioning. So I had that and I had, I was a commercial diver for a couple of years and I left that and I became an executive protection agent. And in that field, again, it's just, it's, you're surrounded by a lot of former military and law enforcement. Again, people that all have, they're kind of all cut from the same cloth. And I did that for about 10 years. So I, I kept myself surrounded with like-minded people that had all had similar experiences. And I think that really helped me transition successfully. Wow. That's great. That's great. Uh, a, a really good transition. There's a lot to be said for that uh, sense of purpose. I think that's one of the biggest problems with uh, surrounding most of the issues out there with veterans these days is that, that, that they lose that sense of purpose or they have a lack of sense of purpose. So um, it, it's definitely definitely an important issue with, with transition. I think it's one of those things it's not really uh, – it's not quite so obvious, um, but yet it's vitally important. So how did you get into writing? Um, so you, you stayed pretty busy, uh, pretty heavily involved in – uh, not not sitting at a desk type jobs, you know. You're you're out there moving and shaking most of the time. 
how did how did you come to writing? Well, I, I'd always dabbled in writing you know, since high school, and even when I was in the military, even when I was in the Marine Corps, I kept journals and I documented stuff. And again, just kind of just didn't, but didn't. It was more of a hobby, and I read a lot. I, I just read, I just just consumed a ton of books, and um, I'd always had in the back of my head this kind of romantic view of being a writer like Ernest Hemingway, that kind of thing, you know? And, uh, it was just when, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm 47 now, it's just like, it's harder to do kind of more physical jobs that feeling the aches and pains of the other years, you know? Um, and I put some mileage on my body for sure. And, uh, I just remember I was, uh, still diving. I went back to diving again and I was doing some diving. It's just a very physical job. And I just remember like, you know, I was reading a book and there's something in it that I found lacking. It was apocalyptic fiction. And that's what I write now. And I was reading, I was like, you know, it doesn't have the elements I'm looking for. So this idea just popped in my head. It's like, why don't I just write, write my own? If I, why don't I, why don't I write what I want to read? And so I remember I was diving one day. I was like, well, I'm just going to set about doing it. I'm just, and I, I also like to, besides reading fiction, I like to read a lot of biographies of people that are, have found success and there's always kind of a common theme. They don't they don't sit around and wait. They just kind of do. Uh, and I mm. I didn't sit around. I did a lot of research, but I didn't get bogged down in, in telling myself that I needed to do X, Y, Z before I can feel validated in order to begin putting pen to paper, so to speak. I, and and there's always this one thing about Ernest Hemingway being interviewed years ago about it, the best advice you can give to, a, to an aspiring uh, author is to just write. Don't get bogged down in all this BS, just start doing it. And that's so that's essentially what I did. I just I just set about to writing. And I made it uh I, I changed it from being a hobby that I made it a goal that had to be accomplished within a certain period of time. And I completed it. I completed a novel in about God, about nine months. Um of course it was still a rough draft and that I just set about just trying to make trying to find an agent, which I did um, which was shocking in and of itself for a new writer that's unpublished to get an agent, a literary agent. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so the, it just, I think that the, I, I, it was something I'd always tinkered with and it wasn't until I, I made it a priority that I was able to accomplish it. Is there any truth? You talk about the difficulty in getting an agent several episodes ago, Navy SEAL Clint Emerson has written a few books. His recommendation was, if you can get access to an agent, somebody that knows the territory, find out what kind of books they're looking for instead of like writing a book and then hoping to pitch it to an agent. You know, like, oh, we're looking for books on uh, military experiences in Iraq or whatever. Or, oh, we're looking for um, yeah, military drama. Or we're looking for uh, great stories about uh underwater commercial divers. Um, and, and you, so if you've got like five or six different ideas for a book and you get some, Oh, there are these kinds of books right now are in demand or they're looking to push these kind of books. Then, you know, to favor, let me, let me work on this one first then, because that's what they're looking for. That's not bad advice. Um, I, I know this, that I've had agents now over a few agents over the years. And that is, um, agents tend to, they're just not, generalized they tend to now specialize in certain genres uh there are some agents that have their connections with the publishing houses and they're known for finding 
authors that write specifically, you know, nonfiction historical stuff or biographies. They're really good for that. Or they, they again, they, they specialize in the genre of romance or action adventure thrillers along that line. Um, so it's all, so there, there's, there's, it, it if you have an idea, if you only have one idea, then what I would suggest is someone go out and find the agent that specializes in that genre specifically. Um, because there, there, there's a lot of agents that are out there. And again, they all they all just don't represent every single genre or space. They, they will take pieces of it. And that's what they deal in. You know, I've had quite a few <clears throat> veterans that have become authors and to various, various levels of success. When you, I mean, I love the I love the advice from Ernest Hemingway about just write. But when you sit down, you say, okay, I'm going to start writing a book. I mean, what how, what does that mean? How, how do you actually go about start writing a book? Like, do you say, you know, does it? Do you just sit down and like uh, it was, you know, the best of times? It was the worst of times. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, I th- I think what happens to uh, you know, and I, I again, I, because I just I tended to look at people's again, people who are successful in their own experiences about doing things. And I have found the people that I've, I tend to ment- I mentor some people now, and I found they were never able to accomplish ever completing a book because they would get themselves in what I call a crazy eight. And that is, it's like this never ending cycle of they start and then they start self-editing right away and they start being hypercritical of what they're doing. And then they think, then they start having self-doubt arise. And then, so and then they think, oh, it's not going to be good enough. I need to go back and get a degree in creative writing. And then they never finish. And so to answer the question more specifically, just I would literally just if you have a work of fiction you want to write, literally just sit down and start writing it. All the other specifics and all the the, the kind of uh, the formatting and all the other grammatical you know, issues you're going to have to deal with will be taken care of. After, because the first thing you're writing is a rough draft anyway. It's the it's the first draft, um, and most people can't even complete that because they get caught up in a lot of self doubt and and limited belief systems uh, because they don't think they're worthy of it or whatever else is driving them in the back. So what I literally mean, just sit down and start writing. Don't worry about you don't have to worry about editing, formatting, agents. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff if you don't have a book anyway. So all that stuff becomes a becomes an issue or becomes something you have to address once you have the first draft in your hand. And, have, and completing the first draft is is a huge accomplishment. It gives you a huge boost to your self-confidence because you've actually written a book. Now you just got to clean it up. So I literally mean sit down and start writing. Yeah. And, you know, that's really the same struggle there is with most anything, and uh, you know, along what we're talking about here, here on Veteran on the Move with – entrepreneurship, you, you go through the same cycle that, that the crazy eight struggle where you start off and then you start doubting yourself and you circle back around, you want to go back and redo everything and start over. And, um, you know, with, with entrepreneurship, you, you get that minimum, the minimum viable product, you put it out there and you go, and then you adjust from there. You can't, you can't wait till it's completely perfect. And, um, I know I've gotten caught up with that, not, not necessarily writing, trying to write a book, but trying to write a, write a speech or, or a paragraph or letter recommendation, you, you start writing and you get all hung up on grammar and structure instead of just, you know, get it down on paper first and then gradually start tweaking and cutting and slashing and improving from there. Yeah. And as far as writing goes, the reason is I, I don't, I don't have any science to back this up, but I, I think that there, you know, we have two, 
two spheres of the brain. And I think one is really that, that is more of the creative side. And that's where the kind of the writing comes from. Even when you're writing nonfiction, you're, you're creating something. And I think the editing and analysis comes from the other side of the brain. And I, you, you're swinging back and forth. I think when, when you're writing something, again, whether it's a thesis, a, a novel, a short story, a speech, just get that creative – whatever you're thinking creatively, just get it all on the page. I always tell the guys I mentor, just vomit on the page right away. Just get it all out. Yeah. And stay, in, and stay, and stay in that mindset until it's done. Then you can, then you can transition to the more analytical uh, uh, editorial process that you're going to have to do. Absolutely. Well, hey, Michael, hold on just a second. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Army veteran Bob Eulen knows the struggles veterans face in the transition process and has dedicated his post-retirement years to helping veterans successfully transition into the civilian sector. His new book, Transitions 2.0, is one of the best books for any veteran facing the transition process. You can find Transitions 2.0 at veteranonthemove.com slash transitions. Also, Bob Yellen is the chairman and CEO of the Center for Transitional Leadership. CTL seeks to assist and empower Armed Forces personnel during their transition from military service to private sector employment, with particular focus on helping military men and women position themselves to be sought-after candidates in the civilian workforce. I have the pleasure of serving on the board of directors for CTL, and you can check out the CTL website by going to veteranonthemove.com slash CTL. Now we're back talking to G. Michael Hoff about a, uh, a Marine who's now a, an author for many years. And before the break, we were, we were talking about a number of different things. So Michael, take us into a little more in depth about what kind of books you write and what they're all about. You got a couple of different themes you like to write about. Uh, I, I specifically am known for writing apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic fiction, and we're not we're, we're not referencing zombie type stuff. And I kind of have to put I have to put a disclaimer out there now because uh, the the zombie fiction is so is very wildly popular right now. And um, I write the the apocalyptic fiction that I write is more reality based, where there's like an event, like an EMP or a nuclear war mm-hmm. or a pandemic of some sort that occurs. And then, you know, I follow you or the readers will follow the characters as they're dealing with that event and as a situation is unfolding. Um, so I've gotten really known for that. My my first book, the best selling book that I have is The End, was the first book in my series, um, The New World, uh, deals with a group of survivors uh, after a super EMP is detonated over North America. Now, do you kind of make this stuff up as you go? Or you start with a basic idea and they just kind of add to it? Or you got like these wild, crazy ideas bouncing around in your head all the time? Uh, I'm not sure exactly what you mean, but um, like the ideas for – like say the end is – the the weapon itself is something that exists. EMP specifically is something that exists, although none of us have ever experienced it. So kind of its effects are theoretical. But um, I also – but I tend to – I tend to have my books – I te- I'm a big reader of history, so I look at things that have happened historically, and, and when you see societal decay and societal breakdown, um, I kind of pull from those his- the, the, those of those things that have occurred in history and apply them, um, kind of blanket them over CONUS if something on that size occurs. And uh, so they're not necessarily 
wild or crazy ideas. They're they're I just apply what's happened in other places to something familiar would be like a suburb in San Diego or, you know, um, uh, a city back east as it as it starts to fall apart after an event has occurred. I, I like wow, I really cool. believe in I, I really believe in 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 applying uh, fact. There's definitely I get a little creative with some things just because I'm trying to drive the story, but mm-hmm. I try to make it as realistic as possible. Wow, that's awesome. So, in your time as an author and you know some of your successes and failures, um, in the beginning we were talking about you know what you do is well you basically just write. Now at this stage of the game for you. Do you have an agent or a couple agents and they're just waiting for you to produce your next book? Are you actually like under contract? You're going to produce one book a year. Uh, are you, are you doing anything like that? Or are you still kind of writing a book and then finding out who is going to go out there and sell it for you? Well, I, um, the, 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 the go all the way back to when I first wrote the end, I had the agent at the time and, uh, what it occurred is the process had really gotten super, super, super slow. And then she wanted to make some substantial changes to the book. And in the meantime, I had already had it written and edited and I had submitted it to uh, beta readers. Those are people that will go out there. They're voracious readers and they'll read things, you know, and their input had come back to me. And by the way, beta readers for any new author out there, they're, You've got to have beta readers. Really? And I can I can talk about that later as far as part of a team, creating yeah. a team if you're going to be self-publishing. Anyway, um, and they had all come back to me with very positive feedback you know, concerning the book. Uh, but the agent wanted to kind of tweak it too much. And um, I don't know what – I don't know it was the Marine in me. <laughs> I wasn't going <laughs> to be told that the dramatically changed because there's a lot of Marines there's a, in my books. I, I, I portray the Marine Corps quite a bit and I, I think 99 out of 10 of my books all have Marines you know, kicking ass and taking names. And um, I, uh, she wanted to make some, some, some serious changes and I was like, no, and I fired her. And that was something that other other writers and I'm like you you want you got an agent and then two you fired her what the hell is wrong with you <laughs> I was like I just didn't feel it was going to work and so I just the dreams of having it published by a mainstream publishing house was gone at that moment uh, and I just hit the self publish button well the book sat and kind of languished on Amazon for about ten days kind of selling ten to twenty copies mm-hmm. um, I was like okay well you know it'll it'll supplement you know I can buy a nice dinner once a month with it and then one day it just took off really I, I don't know what happened I don't I mean people ask me all the time I wish I could answer A plus B equals C I don't know how why it occurred the book just literally took off and it wouldn't stop selling we're talking hundreds of copies a day we're just going and. Um, I remember sitting down with my wife and I was like, I seeing an opportunity, you know, when you, when you see that door of opportunities wide open oh, yeah. and you got to take it and it's, there's risk involved, but that's, but you know, with the great risk comes great, you know, great reward. And so I just said, I'm going to quit what I'm doing because I have to have a sequel. out. I can't wait a year to have a sequel out. I got to have a sequel out right away. And my wife kind of hesitated. Then I showed her a spreadsheet of what I was making and what I was projected to make for the first month. And she was like, oh, okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> she, gave, she gave me the green light. And I just set about to writing the sequel. I got the sequel done in four months. And it hit in pre-order, it had hit um, number one already, The Long Road did. And, okay. um, and the pre-order thing was something that Amazon – so I had gotten calls from Amazon. They were impressed with the sales. 
and they had offered me some beta beta programs like the pre-order thing, which they didn't have back then. They offered it to me and some other things. I was like, I'm all over it. And then the phone rang and it was, I was getting some calls some nibbles from very small, like boutique publishing houses. And then the big call came in from Penguin Random House mm. and they were like, Oh, we like what you got. We got your book. We like it. We see you're doing well. We'd like to sign you to a four book deal. And at the time I was like, well, I don't, why do I need you guys? Cause I'm doing well without you. Yeah. Yeah, they touted distribute greater distribution, which they do have without a doubt. Um, And they and they they touted some other things which never necessarily came true. But I took the deal anyway, because it was a pretty substantial book deal with a with a pretty substantial advance Mm -hmm. and uh, signed four books with them. And that happened. That happened six less than six months after I released the end independently. Now, can you compare, I know you probably don't want to throw dollar figures out there, whatever, but can you like try to compare it to, I don't even know if it's comparing apples to apples in this case, but how good you, you're doing really well on Amazon. How did that compare to a book deal? Um, as far as, was, you know, like are you, Amazon, it was all being all online sales, but you were doing quite well and you had a plan, you had a plan to come out with your sequel and everything. But once the book deal came through, they weren't just selling it on they weren't just selling it on Amazon. They were selling it at stores and bookstores yep. and you know probably their version of online stuff too. So how did it compare volume, money wise, you know you use percentages or whatever if you want, whatever you're comfortable sharing. I'm just curious. I I had um, if I could go back and do it all over again, I wouldn't take it I wouldn't have taken the deal. I've done I've really? done a uh, I've gone back and done an audit on kind of what my sales were at the time. And um, to kind of give you an idea, are you familiar with George R. R. Martin, Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, you know, the author, George R. R. Martin. Okay, well, yeah. with, when The Long Road released, I was I was selling more books than him <laughs> in a day. So I, I was like, I was like number th- the top, I was like number two science fiction writer on Amazon. And I was just, it was, the sales were just incredible. And this was before I hadn't yet finalized the deal with Penguin. And, but yet they, the, the promise they, 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 the, a lot of it, when I go back now, I, I had, I stayed independent, I would have sold more and I would have made an, I've done the numbers to kind of, a, it's, it's, it's kind of a crude estimate, but I probably would have made another quarter of a million dollars without them. That's crazy. And so, um, like, just because because I get because I get a, a more more of a lion's share, even though they had greater greater um, distribution, you know, like the books were physically in Barnes and Noble, uh, right. Hastings bookstores, and these other you know, and so forth. Um, but it's not as if as an independent, you your books can't be purchased on Bar- Barnes and Noble online. They can, um, the physical books can as well, like on their online store. You can even uh-huh. if you're independent, you can still buy. You just can't go into the physical store. And pick up the book, and I, I just think that um, I, I I signed that deal more from a from an ego and vanity than anything else, just because there's kind of a uh, an unfair bias towards uh, independent authors that they're not real writers, they're not legitimate, they're not legitimate yeah. because they haven't been. Well, I can see that. I mean, you, yeah. From here forward, you can always say, yeah. you've got a, you've got you had a legit book deal with you know a, le- a legit publisher. So that, there's definitely some clout in, involved in that. But like, 
what I'm curious about is you, you started to touch on it there. If you were selling a book for 20 bucks on Amazon, how, how much of that did you see percentage wise or, you know, was it, did you get 10 bucks out of it or five bucks out of it versus oh, going through a publisher? What percent of the book did you sell? Do you, did you end up seeing, did you ever, do you know what those numbers are? Yeah. So the, you know, so the contract I had with Penguin, the, um, so when you when, when any, and anybody can signs up for, signs up for Amazon and does their Kindle direct publishing, mm-hmm. that's their KDP select kind of stuff. Um, you're going to receive like for, for an electronic book, a Kindle book, you, you receive 70% as long as you keep a book exclusive to Amazon's platform. Uh-huh. And by the way, Amazon is they're, they're the 800 pound gorilla in the room. Yeah. They're, they're it. Like they, they are the biggest bookseller in the world. Hands down, no one competes with them. Like it, like at, like iBooks and um, Kobu and and uh, Barnes and Noble, Nook. They, they don't even. They're not yeah. even like even even close. Well, in the beginning, um, people at this point, people have forgotten. Originally, Amazon was was a book. The whole platform and the whole concept of Amazon was all based around books, selling books. Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah. all. That's all Bezos was doing in the beginning. He was yeah. selling books out of his garage. Yep. That's it. <laughs> his his is an incredible journey too. I mean, he's yeah. a man that's just like he's. I've read he's just amazing. I think what he's what he's been able to accomplish is you know kudos yeah. to him. Um, and I mean, I love Amazon. I know there's a lot of people that that, that kind of don't like them, and because they're they're getting really really big, but well, they are really big. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, they they gave me my start without a doubt. Had they you know had had Bezos not had the vision, he's a visionary. You know, he's kind of like Elon mm-hmm. Musk. He's like Steve Jobs. He's, he's one of those guys. He they don't settle for just kind of the status quo. They want to create something that's never existed before, and that's what he did when he created the e-reader. He created the Kindle that hadn't existed really before, and um, that changed, and then he then he started to create you know these platforms for for self published writers to come on and publish their works, and he's really changed publishing. He's revolutionized it without a doubt. Yeah. And the mainstream publishing houses have, still are trying to play catch up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and so um, um so my take is with them is seventy percent. I get seventy percent off the retail price. Okay. With uh with Penguin it was twenty five percent. Now with Amazon, did you have to, if somebody was buying a hard copy book, did you have to buy a bunch of books with your own money and then ship them into Amazon or, or did they use a on-demand publishing concept? Uh, on-demand publishing concept. You, so know, you didn't it's have to front a, a bunch of money. No. Okay. And that, that's, what, that, that's why it's something that's so easy for people to publish now, even print versions of their books, whether yeah. it's trade size and you know, type, type print books. Um, the on-demand publishing is another thing that's been, it's amazing. It's, it's changed publishing. So, you know, would be or new authors don't have to have this incredible capital up front in this inventory of books. They, they just do, they have, uh, was Amazon bought a company years ago called create space. Um, anyone out there, I highly recommend using them. You know, there's, you can do Kindle, just have your e-reader done, your ebook done, uh, create space, have your print version, and an ACX for or, or Audible for um, their audiobook. And, do, and they're all are Amazon some of your books products. converted into into either Audible or or uh, books, not books on tape, but you know, audiobooks. All of them are. It's 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 a market that if you publish a book nowadays, you have to make it an audio version. Uh, audio yeah. is taking audio each year. It, it, it's growing in percentage of my sales. Well, wow, that's fascinating. Eating, yeah. It's, it's eating away at the print versions. I, I believe, you I know, I've got it. this, yeah, I got this, this forecast that 
I can see a couple generations where print versions will almost be non-existent. I can um, see that. I mean, that's why podcasts are so popular because people can can consume a podcast while they're driving down the road, or a book on you know they used to be books on tape and, and now they're audio or you know the the company Audible. Um, you can you can consume books while you're doing doing other things when you really couldn't be reading a book, and that's how I consume almost all of my books. I can't. <laughs> I I don't get a chance to you know sit lay down on the couch off in the corner and, and consume a book on a daily basis. So I got to take it in other ways, and that doesn't surprise me. So if, if you want, when you publish your book on Amazon, if you want it, if you want there to, to be a, an audio version, do you just click yes? I want there to be an audio version, and then somehow it happens, or do you have to like go out and find the the voice and coordinate that? that? That's a great question. No, it, it's, you know, they, they have all these different platforms. They're not really all interconnected. Um, so you you go on, I use ACX. Again, it's a company that Amazon now owns. It was an independent company. Amazon bought them out years ago. Um, I go on there and there's different ways you can do it. You can go out there and you can be your own voice talent, get the equipment, go on there and do your own book. And then you have to produce it. Um, you can go on there and find, you have options on there. You can click like you, you, you put your, you put the first chapter or a sample of your book out for audition. And there's a lot of voice talent people that are on there looking for work. And you put it out for auditions. I, I guarantee anyone does it, you, you'll start getting auditions right away. Hmm. Um, That's cool. And then, uh, yeah. And then with that, then you can structure a deal. You can pay them up front. Like they, they say they're going to cost X and you pay X. Or you can do what's called a split royalty with them. It costs you nothing to produce the book. Nothing. They take care of all the production for you and even upload it so that it's available into the uh, Amazon platform. But also ACX also makes it available not just there but also on iTunes. Hmm. So uh, it goes, it goes, to, cool. it goes to several different uh, uh, platforms where, where, where audiobooks are sold. But there's no out-of-pocket out money for you. So creating a book nowadays, that doesn't require a lot of investment. I mean there is the investment as far as the editorial. You have to hire an editor. And you, you cannot not have a book that's properly done without it being properly edited by somebody else, not you. Sure. Self-editing is not editing. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not editing. So, and a self-edited book is you, you've literally not edited your book. So um, so the, you're really – the expense you're going to come up with for creating a book is going to be you know, the editor, any proofreaders – uh, graphic design people to do your cover because there have to be three three different covers done. You have the ebook cover, the print version cover, and then the audio cover because um, they're, they're different dimensions, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. then uh, formatting because you have to have your book formatted for EPUB, which is a, a kind of the um, that's the version it uploaded into Kindle or to Nook, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then also formatted for the for the print version itself, so it actually lays on the page correctly. Okay. Uh, so all those, all that costs money and you, there's no way of getting around it unless you can, I mean, some people are creative, creative enough to do their own covers. I mean, you can maybe save their, um, formatting. That's a tough one. I really recommend hiring, hiring out for that. So it's done correctly because nothing's worse than reading an ebook and it's not been formatted correctly. It, it, it affects how the person consumes it and it, you'll get destroyed uh, you might have the best edited book, but the formatting could be a train wreck, and it'll make it unreadable. And you'll then you've destroyed your chances of having your book uh, be read because you'll get destroyed by reviews, legitimate reviews. 
Um, so editing is a cost you can't get away. You have to spend the money and the same thing with formatting. Everything else though, the inventory for print books and then also producing your audiobook can be done. You just have to split the royalties 50-50 with the voice talent or production team. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering what the cut was. So it's a 50-50 thing if you don't pay them up front. Yep. Okay. Yeah. But see, you know, the thing is if you know a lot of people may not have a lot of, you know, financial resources at first. And it makes sense, right? You know, well, you that know, was a version that, of your book you know, didn't have to begin with, so it's still fifty percent more than you were going to get. Oh, that, that's how I look at it. Some people get kind of, you know, they, again they they start bickering over that. I mean, but listen, if you've got the financial resources to pay the person up front and find the best voice talent that's out there and it's produced correctly, then go for it. But if you don't, there there is a way for you to get, but it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. You're going to lose half of the royalty that you would have had. Yeah. Okay. So. Well, hey, Jim Michael, unfortunately, we're getting close to the end of our time here. Um, you know, shout out for how we can find you or if there's a, an aspiring veteran author out there that would like, because you did say you, you do like to give back and uh, help out aspiring authors. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you, where, how can they find you and where, how would they go about doing that? Um, I, uh, you can just go to my website at gmichaelhopf.com and there you can fill out a, um, you know, the contact me page. I, I, I respond to everybody within a timely manner. Um, also on social media, I really use Facebook a lot. So it's facebook.com backslash G Michael Hoff. Go to my page, like it. Um, I'm pretty interactive with my, with my readers and fans on there. I think it's important. And, uh, so, and I've helped, uh, to date, um, I'm helping a guy right now. He happens to not be a veteran, and he's uh, set on his, set on his way. But there were two guys I served with that wanted to write, and they are they are now published authors because of the you know the all I had to do was just kind of point them in the right direction, give them a little counseling and mentorship, and they were they did all the heavy lifting, and now they've got book one guy Doug Hogan, uh, we're we're in one one together, and he's got he's got a series of books out now. Wow, that's um, awesome! Yeah, I love hearing yeah. that. Great success stories. All right. Thanks for sharing your story. Phenomenal. I mean, great info. I love the the deep uh, the the deep numbers and and percentages and how the whole Amazon and book publishing process work. That that's really the stuff that uh, becomes extremely valuable to actually put things in perspective. So I appreciate you sharing all that. And we look forward to your your future success and stay in touch and we'll check back with you uh, in the near future and see how how the publishing world's going. All right. Thank you very much. Semper Fi. All right. Semper Fi. It's two Marines or Oscar Mike. As you can tell from listening to the Veteran on the Move podcast, interviews are a great way to tell your story and spread the word about your business. If you would like to get booked as a podcast guest, I recommend Interview Valet. You can check out Interview Valet at veteranonthemove.com slash valet. Be sure to check out Thrive15.com, the world's premier online education platform that helps entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurs learn how to start or grow a successful business. Start your free 30-day membership by going to Thrive15.com and use the promo code VETERAN. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time... This veteran is Oscar Mike.